0: I bring official greetings from camp director Jack Moyer and camp Gilead. And it's my pleasure to report that last week's family camp was a a tremendous work of ministry on the first evening when we gathered together as family camp. And I prepared to preach the first of nine messages over the course of the week, which, by the way, is no small task. Um, I I did share with the people that there is no need for concern and no one needed to feel sorry for me because as I shared uh, with Jack, that whenever a a pastor has the opportunity to preach nine messages over the course of five days, that's kind of like asking a Doberman pincher if he'd like to uh, eat some raw meat all week, right? And I, I would like to think that throughout the course of the week that the The stacks of meat kept accumulating all around the campus at Camp Gilead. And by the time we left on Saturday morning, there was meat all over the place. Because these people were hungry for the word of God. I wish you could each be a fly on the wall and have the opportunity to to hear conversation after conversation after conversation. Tuesday morning, a man came to me and he said, I just need to tell you, I went back to my, my room last night, and I got on my knees, and I, I confessed my sin to God. I got right with God. I had another gentleman tell me that from this point on, I'll speak to my wife in different tones, with different language, with a different approach, and I'll do the same with my children. And so stories like that began to multiply and God gets all the glory because we have the opportunity Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to, to study together a concentrated passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 32. And so we dug deep uh, for those days, and I want to thank you for the prayers uh, that you prayed on my behalf and also on behalf of the people at Camp, at Camp Gilead. We certainly felt your prayers, and I'm very uh, grateful for them. This morning, I want to have you turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. It's hard to believe that we have been studying verses 16 and 17 over the the last four weeks. Today is the fourth message in this section of scripture from Romans 16 to verse 17. And I think as we have, have studied these verses together, you understand why the approach was not to simply preach one message for these two verses. We can go week after week after week. One of the songs that we sang this morning essentially said that I, I delight in singing praises to God over and over and over again. Well, the same holds true with the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We keep learning more about it. And glorying more in it, my suspicion would be that most of you who are here this morning who are followers of Jesus, you know more about justification now than you did 10 years ago. My hope is that you know more about justification now than you did six months ago. And my ultimate hope will be 10 years from now, you will look back and say, I didn't know much about justification because our knowledge continues to grow and escalate and as it does there's a corresponding delight and glory in the living god is there not and we continue to worship him and we will do that for all eternity and so would you stand with me as we read these two verses once again may i remind you that this is god's authoritative inerrant infallible word romans 1 verse 16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, it has been uh, an amazing journey to walk through these opening verses Of the book of Romans and I'm excited as we continue to study week upon week as we pour over the pages in this amazing book I pray for the men as they read the entire book on a weekly basis I pray for the women as they read the chapter the corresponding chapter that we study as the weeks continue to unfold and may your word bear fruit in the hearts of your people. I can't wait until we get to Romans chapter 10 that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Lord, may that be the case in each of our hearts today. And as we wrap up this section, as we conclude this study on on Romans 117, would you open our eyes and open our, our minds and our hearts to the beauty of justification by faith alone? Lord, if there's any confusion about this doctrine, clear it up. Make the confusion go away through the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit. And so uh, we are eager to dig in. I pray that we would leave with a, a blessing and a, and a huge dose of encouragement today as we come together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to review in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we have seen that Paul has set forth four statements he has put four statements on the table, and we go all the way back to four weeks ago, and we saw the first statement was this in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I had a chance to, to visit with a young man. I believe he was 14 or 15 years of age, a football player at Camp Gilead, and he had a black shirt, and the white letter said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We became friends really quick. Statement number two, also in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Statement number three in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And then last week we looked at the fourth statement and it's the culminating statement where Paul says the righteous shall live by faith and in an in a uh, an effort to understand this critical fourth statement last week we put our hand to the plow by examining this statement with four very important headings first we looked at the context and this is the not only the biblical context but also the historical context we learned that There was a culture that was dominated with a works-view orientation to salvation. And we turned our attention especially to the 16th century and hundreds of years that led up to the 16th century where the Roman Catholic dogma or the Roman Catholic teaching concerning justification by faith was the standard teaching of the day, was it not? That teaching of justification by faith continues to be taught by the Roman catholic church it continues to be propagated it is a a works oriented view of salvation that is the context then we turned our attention to the concern and the concern is the concern that you have heard me lament about many many times and i'm sure that you'll hear me ask this question many more times and it is the chief and defining question of the Protestant Reformation. Most of you I hope have it memorized by this time. If you were ever in a conversation with someone and they said. Boil down the Reformation. What was it all about? Answer. How can a sinful person. Stand in the presence of a holy God. That was the fundamental question that the reformers were concerned with. Number three. We looked A bit further and examine the corrupted gospel. And we dug deep by examining the Roman Catholic view of justification, which is, I may remind you, sacerdotal. That's a word we don't use much anymore, but the Roman Catholic teaching concerning justification is sacerdotal. That is to say, justification is mediated through the priesthood. You want your sins forgiven? Where's the priest? You see, it's sacerdotal in nature. And then we looked at four statements that summarize what Rome held in the 16th century and still continues to hold today. And may I emphasize, as I did last week, that I have family members and I have dear friends who are card carrying members of the Roman Catholic Church, as many of you do as well. And so we do not refer to these people as our enemies. We refer to these people as our friends. And we ultimately want to see our our friends in the Roman Catholic Church embrace the biblical reality of justification by faith alone. Here are the four statements that help to to unpack the Roman Catholic view concerning justification. Number one, baptism is the instrumental cause of justification. We said last week that in the Roman scheme, it is baptism that gets the ball rolling. Baptism gets the ball rolling. Number two, justification in the Roman scheme is via infused grace. And by the way, what we will do if you keep these statements at the forefront of your mind, I'm going to go through line by line and show how the reformers were in conflict with these statements. More importantly, we'll see how Scripture is in conflict with these statements. And so justification is via infused grace. Number three, justification is by faith plus works. Now, if there's any confusion at this point, I have uttered the idea that Roman Catholics teach and believe in justification by faith. And you might think, well, then what's the problem? The problem is if you talk to a Roman Catholic who truly understands the official dogma or teaching of the church, he or she will grow very upset if you add the word alone. You see, it's the the Latin word sola that is at the heart of the debate between Protestants. And, you know, we come from the long line of godly men and women who are Protestants. They were the protesters. Martin Luther was the first protester who began this movement of Protestants. And we are part of that great heritage now. But the the battle line comes down to the word alone. Do you believe in justification by faith? or Or do you believe in justification by faith alone? Finally, we learn this. That justification in a Roman scheme can be lost. We learn that if grace can be poured in then grace can be poured back out. If grace is infused, grace can be lost. And so in a Roman framework, if you commit a mortal sin, you lose justifying grace. Now, here's what's interesting to me is there are even Protestants. There are Protestants of the Arminian ilk who believe also that you can lose justifying grace and so some of our arminian friends in different theological circles have really borrowed from a roman catholic worldview when they say that you can lose justifying grace so we've looked at the context and the concern and the corrupted gospel today i want to turn your attention to the fourth and final area and that is the cure the cure We we discover the doctrine that the righteous shall live by faith. That's Paul's statement in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. And so we want to look at the cure and look at the gospel according to the reformers. But more important than the gospel according to the reformers, we want to look at the gospel according to scripture. And the reason I refer to the Reformers over and over and over again, because it is the Reformers, beginning with Martin Luther, who were the first to really uncover this doctrine in a formal way. Now, it's not that the doctrine didn't exist prior to 1517. As Stephen Lawson has rightly said, there has always been a long line of godly men. Ever since the first century, there have been men and women Pastors and scholars and theologians who have believed in justification by faith alone. But it was not the dominant view in the church. For the first 1600 years of church history, we have this Roman view that tended to be the dominant view. And so we want to look at the gospel according to the reformers. I want to read a statement from the Christ Fellowship doctrinal statement. It reads as follows. We believe that we are saved by faith In Jesus Christ alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Let me say it one more time. We believe that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. What's the next word? Alone. Alone. We're saved by Jesus alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Genuine faith produces Christ-glorifying fruit in the people of God For the glory of God. There are Protestants who do not believe that fruit is a necessary result of justifying grace. Those Protestants are out of step with the teaching of God's Word. I've recently talked to some people who held this view, and my first response was to cite John chapter 15, verse 8, where Jesus says very clearly, This is to my Father's glory that. They, that is the disciples, that is you and I, bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You could say it like this, no fruit, no salvation. No fruit, no salvation. You say, I thought we were saved by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. And the, the, one of the, the battle cries of the reformers was this, that we're saved by faith alone, but faith is not alone. You say, that makes no sense. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith doesn't just sit there. Because it's a supernatural faith, where do we get that faith? Ephesians 2.8 says it's a gift from God. And when we, are, when we are recipients of that gift, what happens? Justifying grace explodes, and it bears fruit to the glory of God. And so by definition, every follower of Jesus will and will love to bear fruit to the glory of God. Let's look at the Reformation doctrine of justification. Martin Luther said this. He says, justification, justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And so if you're, if you're wondering why you hear so much about justification from this pulpit, it's for this reason. That if we get this one wrong, we fail as a church. If Protestants get this one wrong, we fail as a church. You see, there, there are several doctrines that we can agree to disagree on. One of my favorites, we can agree to disagree on eschatology. We can agree to disagree on the timing of the rapture. We can agree to disagree on, on when and how the millennial reign of Christ will, will play out. Now, for my own self... I have very specific views about each one of these areas of theology. And some of you may have different views. But the beauty of it is we can walk out to our cars and be arm in arm. We're a band of brothers. We're a band of sisters. And we can agree to disagree in eschatology. Can we not? We can agree to disagree on a host of of theological topics. But this is one that there is no room for disagreement on. If we miss the gospel... We miss everything. If we miss justification, our whole theological foundation comes crashing to the ground. John Calvin added that the doctrine of justification is the main hinge on which religion turns. We must, he said, devote the greater attention and care to it. And so you will see as we examine a few passages, especially in Romans today, If you're thinking ahead, you're thinking, we'll probably be in chapter 3 sometime, maybe before the millennium, right? Sometime. But you'll hear in chapter 4, as we read today, the doctrine of justification. You think, well, that means we're going to study it again. You would be correct. And so Calvin says we should give greater attention and care to it. And so what is at stake in this discussion is this. It's the gospel. The gospel message is at stake here. I think many of you, most of you know that a man that has influenced me for. Almost 30 years. It's hard to believe that he recently went to be with the Lord. I had a chance to meet him several times. Uh, My son Nathan and I have had a chance to just sit down and visit with him. And he's signed Nathan's Bible and one of his books. And I have his signature in my Bible. And he's a man that I I just loved with all of my heart. Broke my heart when he went to be with the Lord. But it's our loss and his gain, right? His name is R.C. Sproul. And R.C. Sproul said this about justification. He said, justification is that act by which unjust sinners are made right in the sight of a holy God. Justification means being made right before God. Justification is how sinners are enabled to stand before a holy God. One of my favorite things, and I think it's one of my wife's favorite things to do now, is to is to take walks. And we love to walk around Green Lake. Well, yesterday I met my dear friend John for his birthday. He came across from eastern Washington, and we went to a concert together. And uh, before he got there, I did my... Typical walk around Green Lake. I'd love to walk around Green Lake. And as I'm walking around Green Lake, I see person after person after person. I think there's more dogs than persons, but um, lots of dogs and lots of people. But here's my thought. How many of these people need justifying grace? As I saw two girls walking hand in hand. As I saw two boys walking hand in hand is I saw people in all manner of, of, of outfits and hairstyles and piercings and you name it. I couldn't help but wonder how many of these people need justifying grace. My suspicion would be many of them, if not most of them. And for me, it was quite an eye opener to go from the whole week at Camp Gilead and seeing a bunch of Doverman pinchers eating the meat and then going to Green Lake and seeing people who need the Savior. What a contrast. What a contrast. I want you to think about justification. And we have a a chart here on PowerPoint. There we go. And. I want you to think about this gospel according to the reformers and according to the scripture as having two components and you can see justification is comprised, first of all, as God who thinks of our sins as forgiven. He thinks of our sins as forgiven and I got nothing from that. Think about that. If you are justified, your sins are forgiven. Let me try that one more time. If you are justified, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Like, we, this is what I'm becoming concerned about in the church. Is I learned that because I'm justified, my sins are forgiven. And I sit on my hands. Right? Think about this. The reality that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. They are buried in the sea of forgetfulness separated as far as the east is from the west behind the back of god of course god doesn't have a back that's anthropomorphic language that biblical writers use to help us to understand god better calvin says that language like that is is god talk for people who need help and so One aspect of justification is that God thinks of our sins as forgiven, but the other aspect of justification is that God declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now, here is the crucial distinction, and it may be the most important thing that, that we review today. If I were to ask you, and I'm not asking you, but if I were to ask you, how many of you are righteous? Don't answer. If I were to ask you, and this is a, a, an exercise I've done where it's a little less dangerous, right? Because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, right? Although it's kind of fun sometimes. How many of you are righteous? What percentage of evangelicals who believe in justification would say, yes, I'm righteous? And that would be the incorrect answer. We are not righteous. Now, here's the, here's the clarification. We have been declared righteous. You see the difference? Because if, I, if Dave Steele is righteous, then I wouldn't have had the thought that I had yesterday. When that guy cut me off on I-5. It wasn't pretty. Right? Right? If I were righteous, I wouldn't have had that thought. I wouldn't have gay engaged in that activity. I wouldn't have had that sinful inclination. And so we are simultaneously sinful and righteous. That's actually on my vanity plate on my car, and it's on my son's vanity plate in Latin. Simul justus et peccator. It's my favorite Latin phrase, you know. <laughs> I've only had one person in 20 years ask me, what's that mean? One person. It just didn't work. And when that person asked me what it meant, it was my delight to tell them. It means that as a Christian, I'm simultaneously sinful and righteous. God views our sins as forgiven. He declares his people to be righteous. Let me walk through now and respond To the Roman Catholic view concerning justification. And notice what the scripture says. Number one. Justification is not a process. You'll recall that in the Roman scheme it's a process. It takes place over the years. But the Bible teaches justification is not a process. It is indeed a point in time event. It's a point in time event. The reformers taught that justification is forensic. In other words, when sinners are justified, they stand before a holy judge. I should have found a gavel this morning because God the Father has a gavel. And he is declaring his people, his elect, innocent. This is a legal matter. When, when sinners are justified by God, they are declared righteous. Go over to Romans chapter 3, just probably one page over in, in your Bible, And look at verse 23 and 24. It's a verse that many of you memorized as children. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You recall in Isaiah chapter 43, the reason for our creation. The teacher that you had in third grade who taught you that God created Adam and Eve because he was lonely was not reading Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 says God has never been lonely. He's always been in perfect fellowship among the members of the Godhead. He created people for this purpose. So that they may glorify his name. And that gives great meaning to this verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in christ jesus back to romans chapter 1 verse 17 that word justified the just the the righteous means to declare righteous to cause to be in right relation it means to acquit it means to remove guilt and so paul can say in romans chapter 5 verse 1 therefore since we have been justified we have what With peace. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rome's view of justification conceives of sinners who are made righteous. The reformers stood with the Word of God and argued that sinners are not made righteous, sinners are declared righteous, and the difference is absolutely massive. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. We read this verse earlier. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Have you ever thought and considered how offensive that is to people? To say To the self-made man, to the self-made woman, you don't have to work to be justified. It comes as a free gift. And so the gospel message strikes at the core of our pride and who we are as people. It was Thomas Schreiner that said, believers are counted as righteous, not because of what they have done, but because of what God has done for them in Christ. And so justification is not a process. It is a a point in time event. Number two, justification is not an infusion of righteousness. Rather, it is an imputation of righteousness. You remember that Rome says that the grace of justification, which begins at the point of baptism, is infused or poured into the soul of the, the recipient being baptized. Scripture says something very different. It says that sinners are imputed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to R.C. Sproul. He says imputation refers to that act by which God counts or reckons us just or righteous by legally transferring the righteousness of Christ to our account. Paul says in Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you hear this faith alone, faith alone, this theme emerging from the pages of the New Testament. Romans five eighteen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Hold your finger if you would in Romans chapter one and go over to Second Corinthians five twenty one. Second Corinthians five twenty-one. And I just I fear for the day when no one will have a paper Bible in church and so the pastor will say turn to a book and it'll be crickets. I I, I'm not looking forward to that day. Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one and this is actually a, a pivotal, pivotal passage for us this morning. Paul says for our sake he made him to be sin. That is, God the Father made the Son sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And we don't have a ton of time to labor on this very important point, but this is what theologians refer to as double imputation. Double imputation. The sin of everyone who would ever believe my sin and your sin, if you're a believer, is imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood? Do you ever wonder why he sweat drops of blood? It's because he was thinking about the sin that he would bear for Jason. And then he was thinking about Spence's sin. Then he was thinking about Jerry's sin and Betsy's sin. Then he thought about my sin. And think about this. Now multiply that as he considers the sins of all of God's people. He's going to bear it all. I can't imagine having to bear my sin alone. Sick. Sick. But now he bears the weight of all of our sin. My sin and the sin of all his people is transferred to his account. But that's not the end. The second half of the equation is that the righteousness of God then is imputed to your account. My sin is imputed to the account of Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to to your account and my account. It's what Luther used to refer to as the great exchange. And it's the greatest exchange that ever happened in the history of the world. Number three, justification is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. One writer says that they are counted righteous because they are united to Jesus Christ by faith. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you remember the Judaizers in Galatia? The Judaizers are those guys that said you still need to get circumcised. You still need to to obey every aspect of the law. Well, Paul comes along and he says that, by faith in Christ is how we are justified, not by works of the law. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And so remember that, that Rome, historically and to this day, has taught and teaches that the instrumental cause of justification is baptism. The reformers, along with Scripture, teach that faith alone, faith alone, sola fide, is the instrumental cause. Of justification number four and finally justification can never be lost and as i reviewed this point both yesterday and today the thought entered my mind that we actually taught a class on the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and it was a either a 12 or a 13 week class that's an hour each week for 12 to 13 weeks on this topic, it's that important. It's that important. And now I'm going to take about two minutes to uncover this very important doctrine that justification can never be lost. And in order to do that, I just want to have the Word of God speak for itself. And there are a multitude of passages, as you know, That help us to understand and embrace the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And so I'm going to have you turn with me to John chapter 10. To look at the first one. I asked our friends at family camp last week. Raise your hand if you have ever struggled with the doctrine of assurance of salvation. Or to make it more simple. How many of you have accepted Christ into your heart like a hundred times? You would not believe the number of hands that went up. This this is epidemic in the church. It's epidemic in my life. I, I am certain that I became a Christian at least 100 times before I was 7 years old. Any of the rest of you can relate to that? It was, I, I, I prayed the right prayer every time. It was, I understood the gospel as a little guy, right? Moms and dads, your children can understand the gospel. I understood Who Jesus was at a very basic level. I understood that he was the God man. I understood that he was sent by the father. That he lived a life I could never live. And he died a death. I deserved to die. I understood all that. And I understood this above all. That as a seven year old little kid. I was going to hell quickly. And I didn't want to go there. I heard about it from my Sunday school teacher. I heard it from my uncle who was the pastor of our church. I heard it from my parents. I read about it in scripture. And I don't want to go to hell. And so I would pray over and over and over and ask Jesus into my heart. J.D. Greer wrote a book. President of the Southern Baptist Convention wrote a book about six years ago called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. It's like, wow, I could have used that book 40 years ago. But what I did to kind of seal the deal is on July 4th, 1974, I knelt down by my bed and I prayed one last time. And I said, God, this is the I'm and to mark in my Bible. I still can't believe I did that like as a little kid. Like this is the time. It's like I talk now, right? This is the time I'm going to mark in my Bible. I'm going to draw, Steve, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I mean, this, this is the point. And so on July 4th at Camp Gilead, I get to tell the people, this is my spiritual birthday. It just dawned on me. Like I've been a Christian for, I can't even do the math, a long time. Since I was seven years old. We don't need to continually ask Jesus into our heart because the work he starts, he finishes. You see, we are building projects. We are building projects as Ephesians 4 teaches And we are called to to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at this first verse, John chapter 10, beginning of verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me which is rearticulated in John 17 is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. I and the father are one. Here's what you will hear from other believers. I understand that. I understand that God won't leave me, but I can leave him. Is that what this passage says? It says no one can snatch one of God's elect out of the sovereign savior's hands go over to Philippians chapter 1 and again this is just a a cursory overview Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 Paul the apostle says I am sure of this whenever Paul says he's sure about something we stand up and listen I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that is God the Father who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All the way to the end of the New Testament, just prior to the book of Revelation. Look at Jude, Jude, only one chapter. And I want to read a few verses first in verse one, and it's one that you may not normally consider to be a verse that helps us to understand perseverance of the saints or eternal security. But it certainly is Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called. That is the effectual call beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ. Go all the way to the end to verse 24. Now, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is an important aspect of the gospel. Let me encourage you. If you have trusted Christ, you never need to ask Jesus into your your heart again. You never need to re up on your Christian faith. We just need to grow in our Christian faith. And so we have seen two answers to the question of the 16th century. And it's also a question for our day. How can a sinful person stand before a holy God? We've seen the answer of the Roman Catholic Church, and that is that we're saved by faith plus works. And we've seen the answer of the reformers, which is the answer of Scripture. And that is we believe that sinners are justified by faith alone. Nothing more and nothing less. And here's the bottom line. And I was reminded of this yesterday as I wandered around Green Lake and then as I migrated downtown. People everywhere. Are broken. People everywhere are hurting. People in Everson and Nooksack and Sumas and Linden and Bellingham are working and are, are 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 wounded and hurting. They're broken. These people have sin that has separated them from a holy God. This sin has alienated them from God. And this sin rightly invites the almighty wrath of God. And I'm convinced of this, that the default position, the, the natural response of the creature who discovers that he or she is an enemy of God, that he or she is separated from God, that he or she is broken and lost and without hope and without God, the default, the default response is to try to do something to earn favor in the eyes of the Holy God. That's exactly what Luther did before he became a Christian. He tried to merit favor in the eyes of God. And all of those attempts, all of Luther's attempts, all of his fasting, spending the night in the snow without blankets, scratching his back with these objects that caused him to itch throughout the day, all of the works that he did, it was all man-based righteousness that did not merit favor in the eyes of God. Of a holy God. John Bunyan. The author of Pilgrim's Progress. He he addresses the, the problem. The propensity. For people like us. To try to earn favor. In the eyes of a holy God. Here's what he says. He says one day as I was passing into the field. This sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought. That I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand there I say was my righteousness so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing God could not say of me he lacks my righteousness for that was just before him. I also saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. You see, Bunyan got it. And John Piper says this of John John Bunyan's discovery of justification by faith alone. He says, quote, for Bunyan, it was the end of years of spiritual torture and uncertainty. He says, what would your people give to know for sure that their acceptance and approval before God was as sure as the standing of Jesus Christ, his son? My question is today, have you come like Bunyan's character in Pilgrim's Progress? Have you come with a load of sin? Does sin have a stranglehold on your life? Do you believe and next week, we're going to make the point that what we believe really matters. It really matters. And so today is the day of salvation. The The gospel of Jesus Christ is your only hope. Your only hope is to be justified by faith alone. And this is what I think is going to happen in the life of our church. I think in the days ahead, we're going to see people trusting Christ. That's my anticipation that the hurting hopeless people of Wacom county will begin to hear the gospel primarily through your example and through your proclamation and they will come to Christ's fellowship and once again hear the gospel and many people will come and receive salvation by grace alone through faith alone all to the glory of god alone let's pray together father it's been a special morning where we can partake of the lord's supper and also, be reminded of the importance of justification by faith alone. Thank you for these great realities that we have been exploring over the last four weeks. Thank you for this, this uh, wonderful passage. We've learned so much, and I thank you that the, the growth continues in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. May we continue to grow in our love for the Word of God, for theology. May we continue to grow in our love for the Savior. Lord, I pray for for anyone here today who is not yet a believer, that they have heard the gospel clearly and that they have understood that there's nothing that they can do to merit favor in the eyes of a holy God. We turn our attention to the book of Acts, where the men asked, what must we do to be saved? And the response they received was, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Thank you for the free salvation that is ours in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.